left-handed. You, right here, we can give you this little thing. Carl, huh? come get that right there. That little marble table. All right. We'll wait just for a minute for people to get on here. And you remember that song, Come Into the Ark? Hi, Robert, Margaret. Good to see you guys on here. Ivan, how's my friend in Houston? Love you, brother. Call me soon. Robert Davis. All right, we're going to start. Uh, last week when I was teaching, I guess some of you have already seen the post that I put on yesterday, but I had mentioned the symbolism of uh, when we study the Bible, we don't, don't want to just take it all literal because the, the real truth lies behind the symbolism in it. And it's, they're parabolical. There's all kinds of things. Jesus always spoke in parables. And if you didn't understand that, then you just believed it to be literal. I've had a lot of people fight me on uh, Lazarus, the rich man, the poor man. And they say there has to be a hell because Jesus talked about the rich man and the poor man. And I, and I just say, you've got to understand it's a parable. You know, everything's a parable there. But yet people take things literal and it causes a lot of problems, which I'll mention that again later on. <clears throat> but I, I brought up the Noah's Ark and my lovely wife asked me to go ahead and teach it. And so this is not going to be in the, in the book we're writing, the third book we're writing on no penal substitution. But I just thought it'd be good to go through this. So yeah, if you have a notepad with you, you got your Bibles, you know, I encourage you to take notes. And I even brought you a copy of it right there <coughs> that you can look at later on. <laughs> Unless you're going to read as I go. But you can. I don't care. <coughs> it's at the bottom of it. But <clears throat> so I'm going to be giving you a lot of detail here. I'm not going to tell you that I just 100% know everything about all this, but I know how to search it out. So I spent about seven hours, I think, yesterday just searching things out, going through books I have, going through the Internet, you know, uh, and studying things I've taught before. And I think I've come up with some real explanation that will help you understand this. <clears throat> you know, and we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6 if you want to turn there because that's where the story is. And I'm not going to actually read the scripture because all of you know the story of Noah and the ark and all that. But we're just going to go through there and let the... The very spirit, the breath of God help us with these and help us understand. So I pray you understand as, as we go through this. You know, many people ask <clears throat> why would a loving father, uh, with the exception of one family, drown everyone on planet Earth? You know, and, and it's really interesting how we've been taught it all of our life. We've read the Bible and we really never asked why. We just heard they were horrible, rotten people. You know, so there's another great story uh, that would reinforce penal substitution that somebody had to come and die but man got so bad that god needed to destroy the earth well if that was true it needs to happen again because man is doing the same thing they did back then and of course people say well god said he would never destroy the earth again and they go with that but western evangelical christianity never allows us to question those stories i was always afraid to question them because i didn't know enough to really question the preacher or the teacher, or the person that wrote the Bible, which was many, many, many people that did that. And the story of Noah and his ark has been told basically as children's stories for centuries. I've looked up on the internet and, and looked up children's stories for Noah's ark, and there's just tons of them where you can open that book up and, and see all that stuff. And, you know, I would think it would scare children. <clears throat> I remember you, you, I told you guys a few weeks ago, I found at my sister's house the story of the little red hen. And I don't know where you put that, Donna, but we have one of the, orig the original books that tells that story. And it's just horrible. And it shows the chicken just roasted in fire and burned. And, you know, it's a very scary story. But so a lot of these have become children's stories that should not be children's stories. And actually shouldn't be stories for us either. So, uh, so many centuries... Uh, no one really suspected that there were hidden meanings in those things. Neither did I. And uh, when I got in my, I would say in my, or in the late 70s, which would be my 40s or whatever, my late 40s, somewhere around there, <clears throat> I began to look for type and shadows. I began to try to understand some of those things. And I remember going to my Uncle Walter once, and he told me, he said, son, that's very dangerous. He's passed away. He was an Assembly of God pastor and a very good one. 
But he just kept telling me that that's dangerous and you should stay away from types and shadows because that could really lead people away from the church. And then another pastor one time told me that here in Oklahoma City that Old Testament stories are just for Sunday school, just for children. And he said, I never teach from the Old Testament at all. You know, so... <clears throat> So instead, most of these Old Testament stories are seen as more like children's stories. And a lot of people sometimes think they're sweet little stories and some people think they're foolish stories. Yet the story of Noah was written in the Bible by Moses, not as an entertainment for babies, but as a, 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 par, a part, if you would, of the sacred science or, or that he encoded in his books. So Moses put a lot of things in his book. And of course, we know some of them were mistranslated. We know sometimes his perception was off. But there's words and meanings. And I've always said this. Every word in the Bible has a meaning other than what the English version of that word is. Correct? We know that to be true. <clears throat> Colors, uh, the seasons, numbers, everything. And then when you start trying to explain numbers, people say, oh, you need to stay away from numerology. You know, so there's the religion is always done something to disdain the truth and cause people just not to listen or even to be afraid to teach these things. I can tell you there's many things in my life that I've learned as I've gone on and on. And sometimes I'm a little afraid to teach them because I know the, the, the flack that I'm going to get back. But, you know, I'm not in that place anymore. I'm not afraid to teach what I know. So Moses, uh, a man that stood face to face with God, did not waste time on trivials i don't think he really wasted time on a lot of what he wrote and i do believe there's some deeper meanings in those things that we can really understand and i think Kay said this even though some of this might be a perception there i, I believe god has the power to cause us to be able to dig through that their perception and see the truth so he wrote the story of noah to teach something important to those who wish to have the experience noah had with the real flood mankind allowed. And they, so they, people did have an experience. He, I think he wanted people to realize what this, the flood really represents and everything and realize that the experience that came from living that type of life, living that kind of belief system, uh, which I would say would be fear, that's not a good experience whatsoever. I see a lot of stuff on Facebook right now because of the coronavirus that's trying to make people scared to death. You know, and I always say, if what you're listening to causes you fear, turn it off. Quit listening to it. <clears throat> so there are many stories of the great flood. What was the great flood? It came from a great deluge, right? A, a tremendous amount of rain. And I don't doubt that there was a flood because I've been on top of mountains and I see seashells and they find ocean creatures on top of mountains. So there was a time that this whole earth was covered with water. Definitely was. But I do not believe it was God. I believe man allowed it. You know, so <clears throat> the, this story was told by the Hebrews. It was told by Christians. It was told by Sumerians. It was told by the Hindus. It was told by the Greeks, which is the uh, Decolion. It was told by the Kishi, the Maya, the, the Lakorti Aurelius, uh, the Mystica, and the Ojibawa. <laughs> I think I pronounced them pretty good. Uh, and many, many people from cultures on many, many continents, the story of the flood was told in different ways, but it all came down to the same thing. So many interpret the worldwide source of the story as evidence that Noah, the story really happened and they interpreted that it happened physically and conveys a historical account of a literal worldwide flood. So like them, we're not saying there was no massive flood. I'm not saying that didn't happen. There is proof of that, and so we, we don't doubt that there was a flood, but again, we don't give credit to our father for that. So like all the ancient stories, there are little elements that Noah was a real person. People tell me quite often that there's nobody in the Bible that was real. In fact, I saw a post the other day that a lady was concerned that people are learning so much that there are people out there saying Jesus was just a myth. Well, that's not true. Jesus lived and Jesus walked on this earth and Jesus came to, to, uh, to set man free from this religious system that was binding them up. So the, the thing about the flood, this, that's, it's not the importance of the story. 
the flood is not the importance of the story, just like the parables uh, with the, uh, the prodigal son. The son wasn't the story. The father was the story, right? We always wanted to talk about the son, but it was the father that was the story. So ancient history literally has little bearing on the spiritual meanings of all the stories in the Bible. Uh, the value of the story and, and other historical stories is much deeper. Uh, it's much deeper than what you can find in a little interpretation. And again, the big problem with people is they want to take the Bible as literal. We have some relatives that wanted to read the whole Bible and try to prove that there really was a God. And in doing that, they determined that there was no God because they were taking all the stories literal. And when, they, when you take it literal, there's all kinds of, of contradictions in the Bible. And, and one of them is God is love, right? And then in the Old Testament, God said, kill these people, kill. So there's a, that, that contradicts one another. And so they concluded there was no God and they didn't believe in God. And then when I began to share with them and I began to share that these aren't literal, then the, the daughter started saying, wait a minute, the Bible's literal. And I said, no, it's not literal. <laughs> and that's the problem. And that's where he ran into a lot of problems. So uh, the characters, the figures uh, describe scripture uh, I believe they do exist. The only one I'm not sure about is uh, one that I can't think of right now. <laughs> it didn't come. I lost it in my head. But most of them did exist. But nevertheless, their their uh, depiction within sacred scriptures are are really meant to serve as a representation of a principle or a representation of a spiritual truth. Brother Garner always said the Old Testament is the physical picture or the physical pictures are the spiritual pictures and uh, uh, revelation or pictures in the New Testament. So the Ark of Noah hides this mystical science in a symbolic way. And don't be afraid of mystical. Do y'all remember what the word mystical means? Or what is a mystic? That would tell you. What is a mystic? It's somebody that's seeking spiritual truth. That's all it is. Carl knew that. He was shaking his head, didn't you? You remember that? So it's somebody that's seeking spiritual truth. So there's nothing wrong with somebody being called a mystic. We don't need that title, but that's what we are. So the Bible is a collection of writings. <clears throat> the first part of the Old Testament is translated from Jewish tradition. It's Hebrew, and it was translated from Jewish tradition. And in Judaism, the collection of writings is called the Tanaka, T-A-N-A-K-H, and specifically the story of the Ark, and we know it as the Torah, correct? And <clears throat> the five books of Moses. But in Judaism, there are many, many scriptures that are not available to the public. There are many scriptures that are not available for us to read, unless you can go to maybe a, a, a Hebraic school or whatever and find some of those old writings, because the, the, the church, when they put together the canon, they didn't put those scriptures in there. And we know, like the book of Thomas that I quote from sometimes, that wasn't put in the Bible. I'm not saying it should have been, and I'm not saying it shouldn't have. But there's so much out there that the real student that desires and hungers, that's not so bound up with the Bible, the only thing they can read, can find much truth. But I say this, it must be confirmed in the Bible. With, deep within, hidden underneath different sayings or whatever, you can find these truths. And I've been studying most of my life, you know, since I was uh, 1988. I have a lot inside of me. You know, I can't tell you if I had to take a test, I can answer any, every question there is. But I also tell you that I have a unction with the Holy One. And if there's a withdrawal, it can come out yes. and I can hear truth. So when I read other books that I think are uh, edifying to me and can help me in my study, I always hear a scripture or a verse or something else that I can go to and it confirms it. And that's so if it's if it's not in the Bible, somewhere hidden underneath the, the words or the colors or whatever, then I a lot of times I just don't go with it. <clears throat> so uh, in other words, they are levels of teachings. There are levels of teaching, just like we have grade school. We have preschool. We have grade school. We have high school, we have college, and even in college, there's more and more levels. Some people go to four years of college. Some people go 12 years of college. Some people just keep on going to college because they want to learn. And there's more and more that they can learn. So what happened to us in the church? We got into a level, which was the level that our pastor 
or our dom denomination knew, and that was it. And we kept hearing that same stuff over and over and over. And I say it's insanity. It hasn't produced anything. It's brought forth nothing but winds of doctrines according to the word. So like in all ancient stories, there are little literal elements. And Noah, again, was a person. Civilizations uh, were destroyed, and some inhabitants, those who listened to divine guidance, were saved many times. And so yet, again, this is not the real important part of the story. Ancient history has little bearing on the spiritual meanings of the stories. So you can study history all you want. Uh, one of my pastors that I grew up with, he always studied history, and he tried to make the book of Revelation point to history about the Roman Empire and the Medo-Persian and all that. We heard that over and over, didn't we, Don? And the big charts and all that. But it didn't bring any real spiritual truth to us whatsoever. In fact, it brought a lot of fear when you got down to the end of it. So the value of the story and all other historical stories is much deeper than you can find in that translation. And a genuine scriptures are allegorical. Genuine scriptures are symbolic. They're par parabolic. They are not literal documents of history, although they use the figures you know, and the personage or whatever, but their, uh, their depiction, uh, we should look for that which is sacred when we study the Word of God, that which is holy, that, that which represents our eternal Father and the love of God. So the Ark of Noah hides this mystical science in a very symbolic way. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I know I repeated that a little bit, but I just wanted to hear all that again. So, a, a, a Jesus, by the time he was 12, he was a master of the Hebrew. Do you realize that? And how do we know that? Because where was he when his mom and dad found him at 12 years old? He was in the synagogue and he was teaching and he, the doctors were confounded by what he was saying. Can you imagine that? And we, we have, I have a little 12-year-old grandson, right, Grayson? And, and a lot of people would think there's no way in the world that he could know the Torah backwards and forwards. There's, but they are. They're smart. They're very, very intelligent. And if we would bring a child up in the way, you know, and, and, and right now, most children and most young adults and even older adults spend all their time on iPads, on computers, on games. And these games that they're playing, they're unbelievable. And they, I, I look at some of the games that my grand, and I, I couldn't even begin. And I could, but I couldn't even begin to sit down and start playing them. They're so detailed and so scientific, and they, they learn them. And they, if, if they, but if they could take that time and put it in real education, not just church, it, been a doctor or whatever, there's nothing that they can't discover and nothing that they can't do if they're guided by righteous-minded people and righteous-minded teachers. So Jesus was that way. Jesus, I believe, he knew the secret teachings of Judaism. He understood more than what the Hebrews knew. I believe he had other teachers in his life that taught him truth. But the problem is, is his students didn't follow what he taught. His students didn't follow his ideal. And I was sharing that on Facebook the other, uh, yesterday, and I, I don't think I bothered the lady I was talking to, but I just said, we made an idol out of Jesus. And she called, you know, she came back. She said, I don't think I made an idol out of Jesus. I said, we all did. We bowed down to him and begged for him to do stuff for us. We pleaded for him to come back. We, we put pictures of Je what we thought to be Jesus, which is not Jesus. All over the world, there's pictures of that man that they painted to look like Jesus. We have, we have uh, cr uh, crosses with Jesus hanging on them. All kinds of stuff. And we put the crosses around our necks and everywhere there is. And it's nothing but a horrible instrument of death. And so literally, we have idol, we made an idol out of his ideal. And the truth is, it really wasn't his ideal. It wasn't his way of life. Ideal is a way of, of life. It's, and so the Hebrew words, the thing is, a Christian who knows Hebrew and also Kabbalah. You ever heard the word Kabbalah? K-A-B-B. A-L-A-H, a lot of people be scared to death of that. But Kabbalah is a Hebrew word that describes what is studied in every religion. The Kabbalah uh, refers to the study of the fundamental laws that support all existence and non-existence. The fundamental law, fundamental law. Kay's teaching the mind-brain connection. To me, she's, she, it's, 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 she's going through the Kabbalah. 
She's teaching about the fundamental laws about this body and our very existence and how to live. Jesus talked about how to live and move and have our being. Did he not? So same thing. So about the symbolic nature of scripture, there was a rabbi. His name was Rabbi Simeon. And he said this. Woe to the man who says that the Torah came to relate stories simply and plainly and simpleton tells about Esau and Laban and the like. In other words, woe to the man that takes everything literal. That's how I would paraphrase that. If it was so, even at the present day, we could produce a Torah from simplistic matters and perhaps even nicer ones than those. If the Torah came to exemplify worldly matters, even the rulers of the world have among them things that are superior. If so, let us follow them and produce them a Torah in that manner. It must be, it must be that all items in the Torah are of a superior nature and utmost secrets. Uppermost secrets. And then I add, to be carnally minded, to the carnally minded seeker. If you're seeking the word, carnally mindful, you will not find the secrets that are hidden in the word of God. Right? And I believe what he's saying. The, the Bible is not just about the story of Jacob and Esau and, and the wars and, and uh, Adam and Eve and all that stuff. There are secrets hidden in every bit of that. And that's what we really need to go after. We need to find those secrets because there is a secret to life. But it's not a secret that people can't understand. But you have to dig for it. You have to look for it. And people say, well, why is it so hard? Well, it really isn't hard. Once you're willing to let go of the literal part of it, you, you have an unction of the Holy One. You have the same mind that Jesus had, and you know all things. And I'm telling you, once you say, Father, I'm letting all of it go, and I want the truth and nothing but the truth, so help me, God, it will start flowing. Now, you're not going to have the answer to everything. I don't have the answer to everything, but it will come. And it's from glory to glory, from appearing to appearing that it changes you. So what is important is the message behind the veil. That's what's important to us. Many years ago, Pastor Garner said, when I tell you to look for the Hilton Inn and where it's at, I'm not telling you to go sleep at the sign. When I, when I tell you to go look at a sign, you'll see a sign that says Hilton Inn. So I'm not telling you to camp out under the sign because the sign is a way mark. It's a banner, just like an Isaiah 11, that points to place that you desire to go. In Isaiah 11, it says, it calls a way mark and a banner and said, this is the way you should go. And so whether the ark really existed or not, it's not the issue. The issue is the meaning behind the symbol of the ark. People say that they found the ark. Well, they haven't showed it to us yet. They've got a great rendition of it, you know, in, in the United States. Is that in Tennessee, I think? You know, the, what, what they think the physical ark is, but no one has found the ark. So whether it existed or not, I don't know. But what I'm going to show you is going to show you the literal understanding of it. <clears throat> That's enough introduction, right, Donna? <laughs> so with little actual, actual history in the Bible, uh, there's a lot of content here, and we, we want to interpret Scripture, not literally, but metaphorically. And the emphasis that the Bible is not meant to be interpreted literally does cause a lot of confusion. So the biblical recording Noah being 500 years old, he was 500 years old before he produced children. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And then he was 600 when the rains came down. That's pretty amazing. I've always believed it. I'm not going to say it wasn't true. You know, somebody asked me about age the other day and time and all that. And I told people, well, the truth is we are in the ageless one. And when we were created, time did not affect us. So literally, you wouldn't have to say I'm 500 years old or I'm 69 years old. I am that I am. I exist that I exist. How old are you? I just exist. I'm eternal because I'm in the eternal one. But yet the Bible put, gets these numbers and these numbers and ages represent spiritual development. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this, but the numbers that you look through most of the time represent spiritual development. What's the number seven? Maturity, perfection, and there's other meanings to it. And so we, we, we don't want to major on how old they were. 
right? That, that's not helping us any. So they represent uh, being uh, uh, like people, the Noah, his wife, his children. They bear spiritual meanings. Their names bear spiritual meanings. Yes. Since the Bible is a book of spiritual instruction, we've got to understand that. So if you want to understand the Bible, again, you must seek it spiritually. So we pointed that out many times. So understanding the symbolism of Noah and his ark, the word ark in the Hebrew is tabah, T-E-B-A-H, meaning a box, a chest, a case, or whole, a whole body, like a seed has a hole around it, right? That how you pronounce it, H-U-L-L, a hole. Okay, so there's something inside that hole, correct? And in the Hebrew, there are two references to a ship. One is to a ferry boat, and one's to a ship, but Tabal is not one of them. When you look up Tabal, there's no place at all that it says it's a boat, a giant boat. So we see Tabal signifies a container. Right off the back, I'm thinking we are earthen vessels, right? And what do we contain? We, we contain God. We contain holy breath, right? So where does the ark come from? The word ark appears in Latin translations of the Bible. And who used Latin? The Catholic Church, the Roman Catholics, the Catholic Church. And it's actually A-R-C-H in the, there, which translates the various words, again, such as chest, box, the trunk of a human body, right here, right? What's in this area here? My belly, right? Keep that in mind. Also a coffin. So in the Bible, arcs always protect something sacred. Always protect something sacred. It's like the hull of a seed. It's protecting something sacred inside of it until it's time for it to come forth. Where does it have to be planted? An earth, and it has to be planted, has to, has to have water. Okay, so keep all that in mind. So it protects the life-giving element using a real, uh, being, being a real uh, keeper of what the ark means there, if you would. So it also symbolizes something hidden or something secret known only to those who are searching for it for spiritual matters. It's like a, a nut. <laughs> There's something inside of that nut that's good. And, you know, and sometimes it's hard to get into. It doesn't just, it's not laying there opened up. If I want a pecan, I'm going to have to break through that shell and get inside there. And so we could say then that the Ark of Noah refers to something unknown to the carnal level of, of, of religion. The carnal level religion doesn't realize there's more manna inside here. There's more bread than what they've been feeding people. And so Noah represents the seed hidden within all of us. The seed that's hidden within all of us. It's the seed of our soul, if you would. And we know our soul is, our whole being is our soul. It's not a three-part being like we used to teach. We're not spirit, soul, and body. You know, we're not, we, and our, we, think, we thought our soul was our mind, our will, and our emotions, and it needed to get saved and all that, which we all taught for years. But we are a living soul. My whole being is a living soul. But there's a seed within inside of me, which is our Christ nature that speaks, uh, that sparks all life. It sparks everything. So Noah was a what? A righteous man. And I didn't break it all out, but that word man can be fire. And perfect. He was perfect in his generation. And it said he walked with gods, right? That's in Genesis 6. Gods, Elohim. Elohim is plural. And so he walked with gods in his generation. And he begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem... Uh, represents wise, honor, uh, posterity, owner, and character. Ham represents hot fire. And Japheth is expression or to extend. So we could really dig through those. I'm not going to do that a lot tonight. But man, we, we are the very expansion, the expression, the extension of our creator. Uh, we have a fire inside of us that we're going to look at a little bit more. But when you look in Luke 21, 19, I was looking at this up yesterday. Jesus said, with patience, you will possess your soul. How? By tapping into the seed within inside of you. With patience. You know, sometimes people just want things right now. I wish I could just go to somebody and lay hands on me and I'd know everything all of a sudden. 
You know, every time Brother Garner got up and asked us to come, let him pray over us, we all stood in line. I mean, he had big lines because he was praying for a spirit of wisdom and revelation, knowledge of Jesus, that our eyes would be flooded with light, that we would know what the hope of his calling is. And we didn't know we had that. All right? I probably had him pray that over me 15 or 20 times, and I finally realized, I already have it. I need to look within, not without. So Jesus said, with patience, you will possess your, sh- your soul. So possess means you will live out of it. You will function out of it. It's yours. It's a, every part of your whole being is yours to experience. So from my understanding, ark also represents the physical body then. It represents the, hidden, the physical body because we, are, we, we house something precious. So hidden within the body secretly is a precious life-giving divine element or divine life force. It's the chi, if you would, right? That's what the, the chi, chi means, holy breath. Chi means spirit. So in other words, your body is the whole, tabal, the whole. It's the box uh, of the seed. And the seed is Noah. And what does Noah represent? Rest, right? Fire. And it can be translated in the Hebrew letters, fire also. So inside of it are the raw elements from which something great can be created. And that's why I say we are creators. And and I like what Kay says, but we only create what Father God already created. We are to replete everything that we were created to be in our life. And I love it when I found where it says when we give birth to children, we're giving birth to gods, right? To Elohims. So every seed contains a archetype. Notice the words archetype. That's what it is. Archetype. Archetype. Archetype is a blueprint. It's a plan. It is a potential, right? If I go and I have a blueprint of a home that I want, that's the potential of what I can build that that can come forth. So from that comes from the Latin word archopum, from the Greek archopon, and it's pattern, model, figure on a seal, and then archopos is first moded, and, and then arch, A-R-K-H-E is first. So literally, we are of the first. As Adam was created, as man was created in the beginning, we are that today. We are that. So within the seed of a plant is the potential to become that plant. When you plant corn, what comes up? Nothing else comes up. You plant apple trees, you're going to get an apple. You know, whatever it is, you plant that. God planted us in the earth and we're supposed to be him. But yet everything in the world has come up. That's antithesis, if you would. God made man and man turned himself into an animalistic nature. Whatever you want to say, man took that and didn't realize who they were. And that's why we talk about where it says God uh, formed light or, or good and evil. He did not. Everything that he made, it said, he said it was good, it was good, it was good. And man took it and turned it into what you would call evil. So likewise, within the human seed, which is the semen and the ovum, are the archetypes. They're the potentials. Within, when we were young and we were fertile, there was an egg inside of Donna. And there was a seed in me, and there was a potential, which was the sperm. There was a potential when the two came together to produce everything that was within that seed, right? And it was a child. And so that potential is something that has not been fully realized by man. Even though we say it, I do not, realize, I do not think that the majority of people really realize who we are. And that powerful source that's within inside of us. It's the same power that causes the universe to, to function and flow. And the orbits and the, and the suns to, to burn for eternity. I think about the sun quite often. Why does it burn out? Because God said shine. Science says it's going to burn out sometime or another. Well, a, a mil, you know, when I was younger, I heard a million million years from now, the sun will burn up. And I thought, well, that's easy to prophesy that. You won't be here to prove that you're a liar. But God spoke to the, uh, to the, the whole creation and said, be. And in his mind, he's, and it's always been that way. Only man has digressed from the original design and the original plan. Even though we are that already, but we don't, we don't live out of that, mankind, 
We don't project that. We project what the lie that's been in our conscious awareness. We've allowed the wrong information to get into the womb. And as Kay said, the womb is the projector, correct? When you conceive a child, then you have a womb and that womb projects out that baby, the original, original design. So hence, if the ark is a secret science and also the physical body, why does Noah have to build it? Why does he have to build it? Because the ark represents stages of awareness. We're being built up on our what? Our most, our most holy faith. Our, I like better to say confidence. So when I can put confidence in what God has said and what God has done, and then I learn more and more of it, then I am being built up and I'm able to be who I really am. You know, I joke all the time about how I look like a Greek God when I look in the mirror. That's how I see myself. But the truth is, if I really wanted to look, I probably would never look like a Greek God, but if I wanted to look muscular, I could go build myself up and I can look muscular. I can have abs, Carl. Instead of my abs being up here, which are my ribs, they would be down here. <laughs> I can have muscles. I could be built up. And I, if I would have faith that I can just go lift five pounds today and lift that for a few weeks and then go back up to... 10 pounds and then you know i went up to the ymc the other day and i just promptly picked it up 10 pounds and it about killed me so i went back to five sometimes people start too quick they want it all now and it's the same thing in the word people they just want it now well you've got to be built up in your most holy confidence and you go through the word and i'm telling you it will bring us to where we are representations of everything god created us to be so it's a secret science, not no. See, a secret is a mysterion, right? And it's not known by many people, but it is available. It's available to all people. So again, the arc represents stages of awareness or energy flow through the body. And what we want to do is we want to, in case teaching on this a lot, but we want to allow this energy that's inside of us, the Christ energy, the Christ mind to flow. And the way to do that is get rid of everything that's hindering it. And so I always say we lay our head on the chopping block of the word, the truth of the word, and let the Father remove everything. You know, Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus comes as a thief in the night. Well, a thief takes what's not there. So Jesus came to take away everything that wasn't God. That's why he already did that. People are looking for that to happen someday, <clears throat> but he came to take away the lie. So we could say in building up the ark that we are, we are awakening our awareness to return to the cool of the day experience. We already are the holy breath of God. We already are, you know, if you like the word spirit, we already are living in what Eden pictures, but we've got to come to that experience, that realization, because until you have the realization, you won't experience anything. You know, if I give you a bunch of money and you don't, you don't have the realization of that, then you'll never experience it. You won't write a check on it. But the realization comes when you go check in your checking account and see that I made a deposit there. So that's what we're doing here. What happened? Man abused the tree of knowledge and left that experience of Eden. That's what they did. They abused it. And we must use the tree of knowledge in a good way. It doesn't have to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It just needs to be the tree of knowledge. The tree, tree, and I believe the tree of knowledge will bring you to you being the tree of life. Because the tree of life is us. We're trees of righteousness. And you can read it in the book of Revelation and talk about how the leaves are for the healings of the nations. And when you, when you feed from the tree of the knowledge in a good way, then there is no more dualism. You no longer see yourself as separate. Most of us ministers have, most of our life, have taught from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we talked about sin. We talked about doing good things. And it was, it's dualism. It wasn't good. <clears throat> Then, in Genesis 6:14, we find instructions. He was made instructions to, or given instructions to make rooms in the ark. Rooms. The Hebrew word that translates rooms is Q-I-N-I-Y-M, Kenyam. And but it is it's nest, N-E-S-T, as in fixed. Nest as in fixed, coming from Qualmanon, which is Q-A-N-A-N, meaning erect as in a reed, a cane, stalk, staff, or rod. I was calling Kay last night and telling her about this, that I found this. But all the ancient symbols of the spinal column of a spiritually de developed person, that's what that pictures. It pictures your spinal column. 
The same thing that we talked about a few weeks ago and Kay shared about that, that uh, on the doctors that, that, that talks at your column is what that is, your spinal column. So in a study of ancient master teachers, if you see many pictures, what are they carrying? They're carrying staves. They walk around with staves, they, which is a symbol of fire and it's a symbol of energy. If there's not fire, if there's not energy flowing through your spinal column, you're in bad shape. We are nothing but a bunch of electrical circuits inside of us. Did you know that? How many times did you go to church and you get taught these things? Never. <laughs> or we were just sinners. We were just, yeah, we're supposed to get sick. We're supposed to get die. We didn't know who we were because they didn't know either. I didn't know. So it's interesting that this description of the ark in chapter six, because of the name of the book means beginnings, right? Yes. It means beginning, which was to explain how to begin the spiritual path of growth and maturity. That's what the Bible was about. It's a book to explain a spiritual path and a way. Jesus always talked about there is a way, right? He was the way. He was the truth. He was, he, he was here to teach that. He was an example. He, he wasn't the way. In other words, if we don't have him, we can't make it. But we've been taught that all of our life. If, we don't, if you don't have Jesus in you, well, again, where is Jesus in me? Jesus is not in us. Jesus is one with us. We're one with Jesus. As Jesus was, we are in the earth today. The Bible says, let this same mind be in you. This same awareness, this same understanding be in you that was in Jesus. And we've got to let that happen. So it's spiritual path of growth, a spiritual path of maturity. And then the Hebrew, the number six, this is chapter six, right? The number six is the letter Vav, V-A-V, which represents the spinal column. The Vav is also the spinal marrow set inside the neural tube running the length of the upper body, up and down our body. Thus, we could view Genesis chapter six as a divine work with our spinal column. Life flows through your spine. You get your spine cut somewhere, you're not going to have life. People have car wrecks, motorcycle wrecks, fall down, get beat up or whatever, and they, they break their spine, and from that point down, there's no more life, right? There's blood that flows to it. The legs can still be alive, and, but there's no movement. There's no feeling. There's nothing whatsoever. And how many times have you gone to church and heard people just say, I don't feel God? I, I, I pray and I don't experience God because, because there's a blockage in you that's not letting the God with inside of you to flow through you. And what we're doing is removing that blockage by teaching the truth. Now, this, this says here that it was, uh, was made of gopher wood. Uh, the first two Hebrew letters can be interpreted wood or tree, gopher. And the word gopher is from Gophrith, which is sulfur. It's a symbol of fire. We're going to see a little bit more about that. And there's two trees in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the tree of knowledge, uh, you know, of good and evil, the tree, the tree of life. So, but literally, this is a picture of fire or sulfur. What is sulfur? A, cl a cleaning agent. The, the, the tree that Moses saw burning was this same sulfur it was like a sulfur tree and think of a match it's wood with sulfur on top of it and it burns now i'm going to show you a little while where sulfur represents god so why is a spinal column important spiritually well it's the conduit that transmits all the energies of our nervous system it supports uh, the energetic channels between our sexual organs our reproductive organs and our brain uh, the caduceus, again, is that the, what's on the doctor's symbol. It's called the caduceus of mercury, represents it symbolically uh, as that staff topped by a pine cone. You remember what that represents? The pineal gland, correct? And the pine cone represents the, that gland whose very name has pine in it. And they walked around with staffs with that cone on top of it. I've told you in Rome, we didn't get to see it when we were there, but there's a giant statue of the pani of a, a cone on top of it, right there at the in the, at the Catholic, what do you call that? Vatican. The Vatican, right there in the Vatican. There's a giant statue. You can look it up on the internet and just type in "statue of a pine cone" in in Rome, and you'll see it. It's right there because they have some ancient understandings or had them. I don't know that anybody there can tell you about it today, 
probably could. So verse 14 continues with, and shall pitch it within and without with pitch. Now pitch refers to how the vessel is hermetically sealed to keep out the impure flood, which means to protect from outside carnal influences. So what are we, we are pitched, we are being pitched within and without with the water of the word of God. <clears throat> and the water of the word of God will protect us from carnal influences that have just hurt us all of our life. Many years ago, before I knew Tiddly Squat, <clears throat> I was studying for a sermon and I went to sleep that night and I saw myself, uh, like I was looking at myself and I had a great big Bible in front of me and water was flowing out of it into my mouth, into my ears and into my eyes and all kinds of stuff was coming out of my body everywhere. You know, and I'm sure at that time I was praying God to deliver me from ice cream. Most likely I was, you know. And so the Father was just showing me that if I will feed from the water, you know, I may not have been feeding on that at that time. You know, I was teaching more of a carnal understanding of the Bible. But he was showing me that if I, if I would feed from the water of the word, that it would cleanse me of everything that's not God. Not sins, although it will, but it will cleanse me of the sin that was beset in me and the sin that was beset in me. I didn't know who I was. Yeah. I had a mistaken identity. I lived with that for many, many years because I always thought, well, I'm not successful because of this. And things aren't happening in my life because of this. And I lost my home because of this. I lost my job. It was always that duality, you know, and it wasn't true. <clears throat> and so... Uh, this pitch refers to that, and it's important for us to understand that. I, I can't get into a lot of detail because we'd be starting a whole new series, and I don't want to do that. Then verse 15, I, I like what I found here. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. You remember when your, your pastor started teaching all this stuff? 300 cubits and 50 cubits and the height was 30. You know, we just kind of went to sleep, didn't we? I remember when I was teaching through Leviticus and Genesis and all that, and I always dreaded that part of it because I knew people were just going to be bored to death, and I didn't know what it meant either. So it's kind of like, if you don't know what it means, don't teach it, folks. <laughs> right? But the numbers represent Hebrew letters. 300 is Shin, S-H-I-N. It represents fire. 50 is Nun, N-U-N, which represents fish. And 30 is Lamed, L-A-M-E-D, which represents staff. Let me do it again real quick. 300 is Shin, fire. 50 is Nun, fish. And 30 is Lamed, L-A-M-E-D, which represents staff. So these re letters represent the release that must be done in a physical body. There is something we must do. We always say, don't eat from the, tr uh, the do to be tree. But there's something that we must do, and it's not to be, it's to release. I don't need to do anything to be who I am. I already am. But there, I need to allow the engrafted word of God. <clears throat> what does it say? Uh, I, I'm trying to quote that scripture. The engrafted word of God, which is able to rescue your soul. Oh, receive with meekness. I need with meekness. In other words, just... You know, not, not to get this information because I want to impress people. I'm not trying to impress anybody. You know, you can do this same study yourself and you can find these if you, you know, you know how to do it. But, but I want to receive in meekness the engrafted word of God, which is able to rescue my soul. Well, why do I need my soul rescued? Because I've allowed the wrong information to come into it. Right. Why do I need a nutritionist sometimes? Because I've been eating on the wrong food and I need a nutritionist to tell me, what kind of food to eat to nurse my body back to health. So that's what I mean. We need to do something. So it's a release that must be done so we can experience our wholeness. The letter Shin is the creative fire, our, our energy at the base of life. It's the very energy at the very base of life. It is the fire that inflamed the burning bush before Moses. Shin also stands for, and I found this yesterday, very interesting, Shaddai. What is Shaddai? It's one of the names of God, our natures of God. El Shaddai, it's a nature of our Father Creator. It's the almighty power of creation. So that's what that represents. It's the almighty power of creation inherent in every atom. It is the power that we must live out of rather than human power and might. 
Nobody's shouting. <laughs> I'm kidding you. This isn't a shouting sermon. <laughs> so Shin again, fire represents the creative fire that's within inside of you, the energy that's within inside of you. And it's the base of all, and it's God. It's what it is. It's inherent in every atom there is. And then immediately I thought, well, if it's uh, the power we must live out of rather than human power, what does Zachariah say? Living out of who we are is not by carnal power, not by carnal might, but by my holy breath in you, saith the Lord. So it's the very breath of God inside of us that is our power source. Then the letter Nun, N-U-N, is a life in movement. That's a fish. That's why it says fish. Fish is in the water and they're moving around and there's life in it. Or, or, or we could say living power of reproduction. The living power of reproduction. You know, if you don't have any life in you, you can't produce a child, correct? If your organs are not working properly and... Your ovaries aren't functioning and releasing eggs properly and the man's sperm is not working right or whatever. There's no life. And also you can say if you have no intimate relationship, there's no life. Correct? So by, by harnessing that force, we experience our eternal newness of life. So the fish is a core symbol in all religions, especially Christianity. It wasn't the cross. <clears throat> so... I was thinking about this uh, in Revelation 14, 9 through 10. I've quoted, I've read this many times. and I'll just read it to you. It says, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture and the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. <clears throat> You guys have heard me explain that before. Uh, I remember reading this one time and I thought, this just doesn't make sense because I was always taught that this was going to hell. But I was reading it one day and I looked at it and I thought, well, why, if I'm going to be going to hell, would angels and Jesus watch me? If Jesus loves me so much and God loves me so much, why would they want to watch me burn in hell? You know, and I hear people all the time say, those people just need to burn in hell especially with this political stuff going around. There's been some horrible things said about people that shouldn't be said. But the truth of the matter here, this third angel is a messenger. It's ministers. It's people that have a word. And they're ministering with a loud voice. And it's talking to people. If you have ascertained and seek and desire to know the carnal system, the beast is the carnal way of living. It's a beast nature, if you would. And you've received that revelation in your forehead and your conscious awareness well then why don't you drink from the joy of the love of god Amen. because wine represents joy and wrath represents its orge when you look it up the love of god which is poured out without mixture come and we'll give you the love of god without mixture there won't be any buts to added to it into the cup and it says it's indignation but guess what indignation is the same thing it's orge so they translated love as wrath and they translated love as indignation to enforce a false doctrine of, of, of tormenting hell that you're going to go through. And the word torment, literally, when you can look it up, it's travail. It means travail. There's only two places that travail is used. It talks about the woman that's travailing to give birth to the man-child, right? But they translate it torment here. And fire is always the word of God or the life of God or the energy of God. And then you have brimstone. And when you look brimstone up, the very first uh, Greek word is theion, T-H-E-I-O-N. And guess what it is? It's sulfur. And I just talked to you about sulfur, right? And then you go to the root word of that. It's theios, T-H-E-I-O-S. And it's godliness or divinity. And then the root word of that is theos, which is the supreme God. So literally, travail them in birth with a fire, if you would, of the word of God with the fire of the Word of God, or the energy of the Word of God. Have you ever felt energy when you've heard a rhema word? Have you ever, and you know, just like I told you a few weeks ago, I literally felt that flowing through every part of my spine, down my arms. Down, I mean, and I've, I've felt that before. We used to call it Holy Ghost Goosebump. But it's the energy of God inside of us. It's making it, there was a connection made. You know, I can't just sit here and feel it. But when I make the connection, 
you know, when I, when I tune in to the most holy place, if you would, then I can feel it. I can experience it. Literally, we can walk through earth feeling this energy going through us. Amen. Have you ever touched anybody that is having dialysis and they brought their artery up above? That What they do, I don't, they don't, I don't think they do it anymore. Used to, they would cut down here and they would bring the arteries up on just right under the skin. And it, you touch it and it's going, you can literally feel it. Down deep inside of you, there are no nerves there. So you can't, if you, if you had nerves around all your veins, you would feel that all over you. You're feeling life flowing through them, that blood. And I'm telling you, you can experience life, real life flowing through you. Not just for the feeling, but you can know that it's flowing through you. <clears throat> so the fish resides in our reproductive waters, if you would. I've seen it in places where it says sexual waters, and that's all right. Some people don't like that. But it's your sexual organs. It's your, it's your, but spiritually speaking, it's your reproductive life that can, that can replete the life of God in us everywhere you go, where you can pour out wisdom and knowledge and understanding to everybody you go to. That's what enabled the disciples to walk by people, and they just, they, they received their healing. It flowed from them to them. So by harnessing that force, we experience our eternal nudist. The fish is a core symbol, again, in most religions, especially Christianity, and the primary symbol of early Christians. It was not the cross. I'm not going to go on a rampage about it, but the cross was never a sign of followers of Jesus Christ. It was always a fish. And, but religion has wanted us to put the cross up, but it was a horrible instrument. But very few people know that. Jesus himself pointed out it's important when he pointed toward Jonah's and the story of the great fish. The, Jonah, the name Jonah also has the letter none in it, which is fish. So one of the greatest miracles that Jesus ever did was what? He divided the loaves of fish and he divided the bread, which is a, a very, I mean the fish which, and bread, which is a symbolic event. It was something that we can learn from. So there are many deep, esoteric mysteries related to the fish mysteries completely ignored by modern translators and modern translations so where do we find that in ourselves well first of all we look to the source of our lives what is the source of our life it's the holy breath of god it's the energy that's inside of us it is an energy that's inside of us our life source is our holy breath we always go within and not without all of our lives, we've been taught to go without. We've looked up, we lifted our hands to a God out there somewhere a long ways off, right? And we're always looking to without for our source and everything else. You know, I was talking to Kay about the spiritual resource and we talked about true supply. So many people where we went to teach those, they didn't get it because they walk away saying, okay, now I'm going to see my checkbook full of money. Or I'm going to do this. You know, I saw a post the other day where somebody was talking about, you know, just believe that money's coming to you all the time. Well, it's not about money coming to you. It's not about divine health coming to you. It's not about you getting a great big house. It's a knowing that you don't lack anything. You will always have everything if you know that you have it already. Whatever is required for tomorrow will just be there. That's the mindset that I have. And, and I've prayed for the Lord, for, uh, to or my Father, to help me to understand these things because I don't want to live in a need consciousness. If you live in a need consciousness, that's anti-Christ your life. That's anti-Holy Breath your life. We have a true supply. <clears throat> so three times Jesus spoke. I'm not, I don't have much longer. I'm almost done here. Yeah. <clears throat> three times Jesus spoke of living water. Did he not? talked about living water john chapter 4 jesus spoke to a woman at a well and said if you knew if you knew the gift of your creator within you i'm paraphrasing it some and who i am that's talking with you you would have asked of him and we he would have revealed living water within you to you i wish my younger years going church that somebody would have told me that i have living water inside of me i always wanted that to happen someday I wanted living water inside of me. I remember driving to Texas with my friend Melvin once, and Melvin was really just spouting out the word and teaching, and you know, I wasn't studying like he was, and I just sat there and I prayed. I said, Lord, help me to be able to teach the word the way my friend Melvin is, and God answered my prayer. 
And he gave that to me, but it was already in there. I just didn't know how to tap into it. So Jesus was teaching this woman that there is a water within man that they can withdraw from to the point they would never again thirst again. And it wasn't about that physical water to well. When Jesus said you'll never thirst again, that means you will never have a sense of lack for anything in your entire life. You won't thirst for divine health. You won't thirst for money. You won't thirst for companionship. You won't thirst, whatever it is people thirst for. You won't want, you won't be hungry for a new home or a new car or whatever, because everything that you, that's required for life, you already have it. It'll, it'll just be there. In John 7, he said, anyone who would entrust their whole well-being to what he was teaching them out of their belly, right, will flow water. John 1, 17, Jonah was in the belly. Jeremiah 1, 5, uh, 1, 5, I formed you in the belly. That's the very core of our being, family. It, it, and it said, it said here, let me back up just page a little bit. It will flow water to live, which is zao, zao. In other words, it's quickening. You will live the quickened life. You're quickened already. So the belly represents the matrix of fire. It's shin again. The belly represents almighty power of our creator. Jeremiah, God said, I formed you in, in me. That makes sense? It says, I formed you in, your, in, in the belly, and the belly represents the matrix, the fire, the shin, which means almighty power of the creator. So he formed us in him. It's in him that we live and we move and our, have our being. That's, all, that's why Paul always talking about in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We're in union with Father God. So God was speaking, and the deeper understanding is that God formed me in God. I'm in God. I wasn't so much formed in my mother's womb. I came forth out of my mother's womb, but my mama didn't make me who I am. Physically, she did, but spiritually, I was in God inside my mother's womb. The minute the sperm and the egg came together, that flash of light was holy breath going into me, and I was, I was of God and in God, and God was living in me and as me. Isn't that powerful? Then the letter uh, L-A-M-E-D, again, is the staff of Moses, the rod of Aaron, which represents the creative power of Shen again. It, that staff represents power. And this power rises up the spinal column, and it's the power that healed the Israelites when the serpents were biting them. You know, you saw the pole with a serpent around it. In the book of Acts, this created power, the power that glows around the disciples' heads. Sometimes you see people and you literally almost see a holy glow. You ever done that? How many times have you seen it with me? <laughs> no, I'm playing. But I've seen people and looked at them and literally I sense that glow. And that's the almighty power of God vibrating. You know, there, there's that vibration that goes inside of us. So power does that. Spiritual illumination is produced by abundance of inner light. So the more light we allow to flow, light is what? Power, light is energy. The more energy that flows, there's more illumination to us. And that light is radiated from the fire, the letter Shin, which represents the fundamental force in all things. Everything that lives, everything that has breath, is because of this force of fire, the force of God, the almighty power of God within inside of them. So the rest of the Noah story, the flood, the 40 days and nights, the death of the impure beliefs and thoughts all relate to the conscious awareness transformation, which we must undergo. We must lean to the mind of Christ or the Christ mind or our Christ mind. It wasn't impure people. You know, I looked at pictures on Facebook yesterday and it, it you know, it was, had these old pictures from way back and people were all naked and they were dancing around. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen because it happens today. But that's not what God was concerned with. He was concerned with the impure beliefs. He was concerned that so the water of the word, the flood of the word will come by and cleanse us, come and cleanse us of all these impure beliefs. And it must go around the whole world. All people, all inhabitants of this earth, the people of this earth, they need to have a flood flowing through them. And it's life. Life flowing will correct death. Right? 
I'll never forget, and you guys have heard me tell it, but Sister Gardner, a lady from Full Gospel Assembly, had really bad eye problems, and she was going blind. And the doctor tried everything they could, and he was a believer, and he told her he was praying. He was going to pray that the Lord would show him what to do. He went home that night, and he had a dream, and he saw himself drawing blood out of her arm and putting three drops of blood in each eye, and then closing it up and leaving it there for three days. And so he told her about it, and she said, do it. And he did it. Three days later, he took it off and it was all gone and she could see. I mean, there's so much revelation. There's so much illumination when we will tap into what's inside of us that can change this earth. The Apostle Paul, again, he said uh, to the church in his day and for us, stop being conformed to the outward way of living, but experience your eternal transformation by going within to your Christ's mind. That's what he meant. Be ye transformed by the renewing mind. We must go within. And we must. And that's why I'm so thankful that Kay's teaching the mind-brain connection in the book of Revelation. Because there's nothing wrong with teaching about the body. We are the body of God. We are the temple of God. We were repleted in his image. Every child that's born. And why have we not heard about this? It's out there. There, there, are, there are people have taught this for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years, but we were hidden from it because the church said, oh, stay away from signs and symbols. You know, stay, stay away from the, this mystical stuff. And, oh, that's a sin. And, and they kept us bound up. And they said it because somebody else told them that, and it's not true. So just make sure whatever you're studying, you're listening to the holy breath of God within inside of you. And he, it will lead you and it will guide you into all truth. And when we hear the truth, the Bible says the truth will make us free. Amen? So I hope that helped you. I know it wasn't a preaching sermon or whatever, but it's a lot of information. And then next week, I'm going to go right back to no penal substitution. But when my wife tells me I need to teach something, I listen to her. Except for when she wants me to teach Christmas stories. <laughs> so we love all you guys. Thank you very much. Uh, speaking on behalf of everybody on here, I know you listen to Kay. So I just want to say, Kay, thank you for being a forerunner in what you're teaching. It's bringing great understanding and it's even helping me. I'm shocked. I'm sure you're shocked that it is <laughs> joking, but it is helping me because it's putting some pieces of the puzzle together that I've always thought about, but just wasn't quite willing to go down that way. And so I'm excited. We have great teachers in our life and there's no reason why people uh, can't be taught. I'm thankful for Facebook, the World Wide Web. It's just enabling us to reach people all over this world and I look at some of the people that are posting. I look for from their, from their, where they're from, and it's really exciting. I mean, the other side of the world is listening to us on Sunday morning, and it's pretty cool. So we love you. We bless you. We thank you. Hi, Robin Ford. Good to see you, Linda. We appreciate you very much. Have a good day.